Seamus, The Case of the Thieves and Brigands, Part 1, Finding Wings, is based on the book The Great Taxicab Robbery by James H. Collins. Mrs. Smith sat across from me, twisting her napkin in her lap, staring hard at the window blinds. She was young, probably just out of college, probably married less than a year. She looked the type, fresh, clean, right out of the girl-next-door handbook. She started to tell me what she wanted, twice. I nodded to the waitress and held up two fingers. I turned back to Mrs. Smith and waited. I'd put money on Smith not being her real name. Mr. James, I just don't know. I know that if I hire you, then it will ruin my marriage. But I just have to know. I have to know. The coffee arrived. I pulled my cup in front of me and waited. She took her coffee and added cream and sugar. She finished her story. Like so many others, Mrs. Smith thought that her husband was having an affair. She wanted proof. I didn't mind. It was usually easy work. Cheaters always think no one knows, and that makes them predictable and sloppy. I watched Mrs. Smith organizing the sugar packets. She seemed nice. But she wasn't committed to the possible outcome of my investigation. My issue was, once they got the goods, the client didn't want to pay. Even nice people like Mrs. Smith. I needed the money up front. Mrs. Smith, I charge $35 an hour plus expenses. I need $350 up front to start. Non-refundable. Oh, so if I change my mind, you keep my money? I waited for her to think that through. I have that. I can take it from my personal account. Kevin will never need to know. Your husband need never know about any of it. If I find that he's unfaithful, you don't have to share the proof with him. You can burn it and carry on like nothing has happened. If I find that he's faithful, then you can rest easy. It's up to you. I should be pushing her harder. My cash reserves were getting low. Another case where I sat in my car and waited to catch someone cheating didn't get me motivated. But it was easy money. Cheating seemed to be part of the game. But not everyone cheats. Not everyone. Mrs. Smith was upset as it was. She was uncomfortable meeting with me in a diner. She started fussing with her hair, pulling it out of the ponytail and smoothing it back into the elastic again. He's just been so odd lately. Going off at odd times and sneaking back in late. Could it be something else? Is he gambling or has he joined a secret lodge? Well... And there it was. The uncertainty. Damn. She ran her fingers along the edge of the table and pushed her coffee away. She took a deep breath. Thank you, Mr. James, for your time. I need to think more about whether I want to take these steps. My friends say I should hire someone, but I don't know. You have my number. She gave me a stage smile as she started gathering her things together and scooted to the edge of the booth. I sat and watched her, waiting until she was nearly on the edge of the seat before I stood. I extended my hand and helped her to stand. Nice meeting you, Mrs. Smith. She nodded at me and walked away. Damn. I sat back down and finished my coffee. Suspicious wife? She's not ready to find out. She needs to grow a pair, find out for herself, and take charge of her life. (laughs) Kind of cuts into my income. Doris slipped in on the other side of the booth. Speaking of which... 
She nodded over to a guy sitting on a stool at the counter. I glanced over and kept sipping my coffee. I couldn't say no. Doris and Mike let me see clients in their joints. In exchange, I take the odd case gratis for them. Doris using my failure to land this one as a bridge into dumping another deadbeat on my lap wasn't playing nice. He said he'll pay. Says it could work into something long-term. I became more interested. What's his story? He's pretty tight-lipped. Said he needed someone to go where he can't. I looked at him again. Early 30s, soft-body, sandy hair on the verge of needing a cut and beginning to thin. Clean-shaven, baggy shorts, flip-flops, and a graphic t-shirt. Probably not a lawyer. I looked at the clock on the wall and went back to my coffee. Uh, send him over. Doris slid out of the booth. She talked with the guy on the stool and he looked at me. After a second, he walked and slid uninvited into the booth. Hey, you the P.I.? The waitress said you were. This guy was already making points with me. Yeah, what can I do for you? How much do you charge an hour? $35 an hour plus expenses, and I need $350 to start. Cash. Interesting. You haven't told me what you want. The waitress brought over a couple of plates. Cassis had the pancakes. I had the special that I hadn't ordered. I looked over at Doris. She shrugged. I need someone to keep an eye on a location. Go on. I ate while he went into his monologue. Cassis is some sort of cyber consultant. From time to time, he needs boots on the ground. I guess that would be me. He offered me an opportunity to do this one job for him. And if it worked out, he would throw me jobs going forward. He had perfect teeth and talked with his mouth full. So what's the job? Corporate computer espionage. (laughs) You don't need me for that. You'd be surprised. I got treated to another monologue. This guy likes to talk. Seems a company discovered some aberrations with their system showing up randomly lately. They hired Cassis to identify the cause. He found that it wasn't a problem with the software. He was only able to track whoever was attempting to gain access to the system to a general location before the computer trail dried up. Cassis wanted me to watch that area to see if I could come up with anything that seemed out of the ordinary. Seems straightforward enough. Well, you interested? I will be when I see the cash. When Cassis returned with the money, I handed him a contract, and he scrawled something on it and left. I paid Doris for the food and went in search of wings. No one blends into the background quite like the homeless. People arrive at homelessness and stay trapped there for a variety of different reasons. Most of the reasons are outside the control of the homeless. Many have mental health issues that prevent them from staying in society. A few manage to work their way out of abject poverty, and a small percentage remain homeless because they made a choice to be homeless. Wings falls into that very exclusive ladder category. He blends in with every other homeless person, but he's living large. He was a broker back in 87 when the market plummeted. He got sued, lost everything, including his wife. After the initial shock of being homeless, he decided he liked it. He panhandles, does the odd job for me now and then, and does my taxes. He's good at taxes. Somehow, even though Doris will never admit it, a couple of times a week there's a bag of food left in a secret place near the dumpster behind Joey's Diner. Wing's favorite spot is around the historic buildings on the west end of Pensacola Beach because he knows what to do to stay under the radar. 
He stashes an old beat-up mint green bicycle at my place in case he has to go into Pensacola. I headed toward the area that Cassis wanted me to watch. It was a mini-mall surrounded by less-than-affluent neighborhoods. I drove around. Wings would be invisible here. I made note of the shops and started looking for wings. I found him out near the Navy base. The Blue Angels were practicing today, and Wings would have a crowd of spectators to work. Well, if it isn't the great detective, what brings you off Pensacola Beach? I'm guessing it ain't the Angels. I have some work for you. I need you to watch some buildings. Tell me if you see anyone or anything odd. (laughs) This is Florida. We're all odd here. At least there'll be people shopping. Where's it at? I peeled off a Franklin and handed it to him along with a cheap digital camera and the address. I'll check with you later today. Ah, you look bleary-eyed. Late night, early morning. I settled in at the bar. Coffee. Mike cocked his head and leaned forward. Coffee? You working? Ah, yeah. Well then... Mike pushed the coffee across the counter at me. The heavy mug steamed. He waited, watching a building for activity. Mike lost interest and moved away. I met Mike when I was still on the force. He didn't have a cop bar, and that worked out well for me after I left the force. Didn't leave a lot of friends back there. I drank my coffee and listened to Mike yelling at someone in the back and watched the mirror. Not a lot of foot traffic today. A couple of regulars were watching the game on the television hanging over the bar. I left a couple of bills for the coffee. When I got back to the house, I started researching the businesses in the mini mall. Pretty much what I expected to find. Two of the storefronts were for lease. The owner was behind in his property taxes. I expanded the search to the general area. Some tattoo parlors, a medical marijuana shop, free clinic, car repair, used clothing store. I zeroed in on a nearby storage facility. Easy to set up shop in one of those and keep under the radar. Whoever Castles was looking for had probably set up shop there. Wings should be in place and I headed out to check on him. It would give me a chance to drive around the neighborhood and see if anything caught my eye. I stopped at the storage building and walked around. Someone could definitely hide in here. When the office clerk came out to see what I was doing, I took off. I didn't want to tip my hat if Cassis's corporate astronauts people were here. I didn't see wings on any of the likely corners, so I took a walk around the back of the building. Hell. There was a late model sedan, the color of coffee, parked in the middle of the alley. I could immediately see the man slumped on the ground by the driver's side door. He was alive, but had taken a nasty blow to the head. The guy in the back seat was still breathing, but he was in ugly shape. Someone beat him up pretty badly. Hell. I pulled out my phone. Mr. Mister, can you come help me? My friend, he's hurt real bad. I moved toward the man. What do people call you? Sal, they call me Sal. Where's your friend, Sal? He's a real nice guy. I don't know why they did that to him. The guy grabbed my arm and led me to a dumpster about 20 feet away. He's real nice. He gave me some money. Said it was for rent of a a spot in my territory so he could stay for a couple of days. He shared his food with me. I tried to cover him up as best I could to keep him warm. 
He's beat real bad. The homeless man pointed to a pile of garbage bags and cardboard. I hope they don't come back. They were big and mean. I may have to move. He's hurt bad. I I hope he's not dead. I walked over to the pile the homeless man indicated. The man under the pile of trash was in a fetal position and he was beat bad, like the guy in the back of the sedan was. His fist clenched a flyer advertising a fight from a couple of weeks ago. I looked up and saw a couple more of the same flyer stapled to the telephone pole. He had probably tore it off trying to get away. His face was a bloody mess, but he was still breathing. Just barely. I had found wings. Thank you for listening to Seamus. If you liked this episode of Seamus, please leave a review and tell your friends. Seamus, The Case of the Thieves and Brigands, Part 1, Finding Wings, is based on the book The Great Taxi Cab Robbery by James H. Collins. Hunter James was played by Tom Hinton. Mrs. Fisher was played by Paige Scaler. Doris Poole was played by Jean Phillips. Wings was played by Mike Rowe. Mike Regan was played by Nick Yamateo. Sal was played by Tim Kenlan. I'm Leslie Woodroff. This episode of Seamus was written by Max Reese and directed by Tom Hinton. Seamus is a New Meadows Media production. All rights reserved.